1370, the first public clock tower was built in Cologne, Germany. Before this, sunlight determined time. Seasons and nature dictated life's rhythm and people's schedules. So, days were long and busy in the summer, but then short and slow in the winter. The agrarian lifestyle worked free of haste, not worried about productivity. God dictated the rhythms and pace of life, when to work and when to rest. Then, artificial time was introduced. A machine was in control, and it was a demanding master. In 1879, Thomas Edison introduced the light bulb, and darkness was no longer an indication for rest. Before the light bulb, the average person slept 11 hours a night. That's three more than the eight that you're probably not getting now. In 1967, a Senate subcommittee predicted that by 1985, the average American would work only 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. And by the year 2000, you would only be working 14 hours a week. Too much leisure time was going to become an issue. But in reality, the exact opposite has happened. Today, the average American works nearly four weeks more a year than they did in 1979. In 2013, 40% of working Americans worked more than 40 hours a week. Rest has all but vanished from the mindset of many Americans. The Sabbath has nearly disappeared. On Sunday, businesses used to close and the world would slow down for a bit. Families and individuals would rest, spend time together. But then in one generation, Sunday went from being a day of quiet rest to a day of tasks, errands, and preparation for the week ahead. Today, every day is a work day, a day to be productive. We have a constant awareness of time and what we need to be doing. Too often we may ask ourselves at night, how little sleep do I need until I can get more done? My name is Derek and uh, glad to be here with you today where we can actually talk about rest. Who's a little bit tired here today? Yeah, can you imagine 11 hours of sleep? Like, what would that even be like? I don't even know. I haven't gotten that many hours of sleep until I was 17, since I was 17 years old. So it's been a while, right? Uh, we, we've got a, a pretty fast-paced life. And today we're going to look at really how to slow down and work some different rhythms into our life that can help us actually rest. Not just get more sleep, but to, to feel rested. And the exciting thing that I have for you today is that this this message has actually changed my life, which is fun. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about my story and what God has really been doing with me in preparation for this message as well. So you guys ready to buckle up and run on in? Yeah. Yeah? Well, rest starts being talked about in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, where at the very beginning, it says on the seventh day, God rested. And I I just want to start off with a question for you and everybody online as well. Is on that seventh day, do you think that God was just doing nothing? Or do you think that perhaps he was actually finishing ordering the world? That on that day he was doing something in the act of rest? Well, I ask this because... It seems like rest is actually somewhat hardwired into the way that creation was 
put together, right? The way that God ordered the earth. And, and the research really backs it because I, I, in 2014, there was this, uh, this article that was put on Huffington Post that talked about the happiest people uh, in America. And some of the happiest people in America are religious people. But there's a specific really happy group of religious people that also live longer than anybody else, any people group in America. And that's this this subset of Christians called Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, They religiously practice the Sabbath every week, and they live 10 years longer than the average American. Do you want to guess how many years longer you would live if you stacked all the Sabbaths you took over the course of a lifetime to the end of your life? Anybody have a guess? Be about 10 years, (laughs) right? It's amazing how God actually blesses that sort of act and rhythm of taking a day off. My, my son actually right here, Miles, he was in a Seventh-day Adventist school when he was a kid. So I had to go and pick him up at 3 o'clock on Fridays in the winter, you know, when daylight savings time was happening. So, I could get, so they could get home before, you know, the, the sun went down. But rest, rest is one of those rhythms that perhaps isn't just a nice add-on that we can do at the end of our week when you get everything done, but it's possibly one of the, the primary ways that we can actually find emotional health in our life. We've kind of been messing with your mojo. I don't know, um, like the last three weeks, we talked about like the pain that you might have from your family of origin. Uh, we, we also talked about walls that you might have up between you and God. And we talked about grief and loss last week. Like, we've opened up some big doors. You might actually be experiencing, like, more hardship in your life the last three weeks because you're looking at the pain that you've been experiencing. And I want to tell you that good news this week is that what we're opening the door to could actually bring potential wholeness into your life and healing uh, we don't usually look at these things because we're hardwired to survive, right? You can't just look at pain and then just stare it in the face all the time. We kind of have to keep pressing on, moving forward. Who's with me? Like, you can't just look at the problems all the time. But part of the issue when we avoid the problems is that we sometimes also avoid the solutions. Uh, so Jesus gives us the solution. You guys want to... Read it with me, like here, I'm not, you don't have to read it with me, but I'm going to read the solution out of Matthew chapter 11 that Jesus gives us. He says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Who wants some rest for your soul? <laughs> like, we, we, we need this that Jesus is talking about. Now, this passage is, is very well used in church and in the Christian tradition, but today I just want to break it apart and, and really try to understand what Jesus is talking about. How do we get rest for our souls? What's the secret to rest? I want to suggest that the secret to rest is actually to make space for God. Jesus says it right here, come to me. We have to make space to come to God. And really the enemy to rest is this thing that we're doing, like 
this video talked about, this, this life pace that is really not sustainable. Hurry is the greatest enemy to wholeness. Now, I've got some quotes here for some, from some great spiritual uh, fathers and, and mothers in our generation. Dallas Willard says this, Hurry is the greatest enemy to spiritual life in our day. Uh, Corey Tenboom, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Uh, Leonard Sweet, warp speed can warp your soul. And then in, the, in a conversation between Dallas Willard and John Ortberg, John asked Dallas, who's discipling him, what's standing between who I am and who I know I can become? Dallas Willard's response Relentlessly eliminate hurry. Relentlessly eliminate hurry. And I just want to say that there's a book by that title by John Mark Comer. Uh, and if you want to go check that out, a lot of the content from the message today was actually inspired by that book. And John Mark Comer was inspired by the book that we're reading as a church, uh, so by, by Peter Cesaro. So both of those books, if you haven't heard of them, uh, go out and grab those books. Uh, they're fantastic. But the ointment we've been using, hurry, to try to distract us from the pain that we've been experiencing in life actually might be the wrong sort of medicine. Uh, it might be the wrong sort of medicine. So I have a faith statement for you. Um, the faith statement is this. If you make space for Jesus, he will fill you. That's what we're going to talk about today. If you make space for Jesus, he will fill you. Now, you can see that earlier in the week when I gave the slides, uh, in, when I turned them in, I actually had, when, if you make space for God, he will fill it. Now, that statement is also true, um, but I, I refined it a little bit. Uh, I refined it a little bit because Matthew 11 says, Jesus says, come to me. So I said, let's, let's make space for Jesus. And then it's true that Jesus will Fill the space that you make for him. But here's the deal. If you make space for Jesus, he not only will fill that space, that time that you spend, but in doing so, that time that you spend will permeate throughout the rest of your life and bring health and wholeness to every part of your, your life and to your soul and to your spirit. So if you make space for Jesus, he will fill you. Now, the fear is this. The fear is this. Okay, that's the faith statement. The fear is that I, I sometimes believe, and I don't know if you're with me, that if I make space for Jesus, there's a possibility that he just won't show up. Who, who's ever felt that? Like, I don't want to make space because if I do and he doesn't show up, then I'll really know that there's no answers out there. Well, we're going to go back to the faith statement, make space for Jesus, and he will he will fill you up. Now, there's a truth that I know. The same voice who spoke light into the darkness that made order out of chaos, that same voice is ready to speak life into your soul. That same voice is ready and waiting. Now, the problem is this. The problem is that we are not making space. Our lives are rushed and hurried. And so, the truth is that I have to believe making space will fill me up because that isn't what I often believe.
Now, you don't have to believe me yet. We're going to walk through the process of making space. So what Jesus says is, come to me, right? And he says, uh, he says well, I, I don't, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That passage right there in Matthew 11, I've got three points. Accept that you cannot do it all. You have to admit that you're weary. Like, we have to admit that we're broken in our heart, right? That we, we don't have it all put together. And I just want to say, if that's where you're at, and you want to work through some of these things that you're broken in, I, I just want to say, we have a group here every Monday night called Celebrate Recovery, and that, they work through the 12 steps, and the first of the 12 steps is that you can't do it, right? And so this is, this is the first one that we have to do if we're going to let God actually fill us up and create the space. I have to accept that I can't do it all. Number two is adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. He says, take my yoke and learn from me. And the third is this, acknowledge your worth is not dependent upon your success. He says, my burden is actually light. It isn't heavy, you having to make a name for yourself? No, that's really heavy. There's not many people who have ever done that. But my yoke is actually pretty light. And I'll tell you what, this first point, you can't do it all, is really hard for me because I am a recovering hurry addict. I don't know if Dave knew that when he invited me to preach this message, but I was just talking with one of our college students here. In college, it's probably the busiest time of my life. I, I worked uh, 20, 25 hours a week. I would take up to 20 college credits. And when I was at work, I took pride in the fact that I was, I was a computer field technician. I took pride in the fact that I was closing as many tickets as the full-time staff at the place that I worked. I, I got married in college. We remodeled the house. All these things I, I did, rushed around and I hurried, didn't have a lot of extra time in my schedule. And something that broke me in that same time period was this. I went and I applied for an internship with this group called Impact Campus Ministries. I was trying to get ministry experience. And uh, there was this guy, Bill Westfall. Um, I knew him. He was part of my church body. And he uh, later became the president of Impact Campus Ministries. I sat down. I asked him if I could intern with him and under him. And he sat down, had lunch with me, talked with me through my schedule, and then turned me down for the internship. Now, I've never been turned down for a job in my life, other than the one time I interviewed against my wife for a position at Ruby Tuesdays. I, I don't know. I don't want to go head-to-head with her ever again. But Bill Westfall turned me down for this internship position, and the reason for it was that I was too busy. Now, impacts... Uh, their, their mission statement is to pursue, model, and teach intimacy with God. And he said, here's, here's the deal, Derek. You, you can't actually live out our mission statement because if you're going to have intimacy with God, you have to have margin in your life. That gutted me. <laughs> but, but here's the deal. It didn't gut me enough to actually change me. <laughs> I still kept running fast all through grad school through, through so, so many parts of my life. It isn't until more recently that I've started to learn some of these rhythms that I'm preaching to you today. So you might be in the same position as me. You might be suffering from what I like to call hurried sickness. So I'm going to read through 10 symptoms. And what I want you to do is just self-examine. Will you do that with me? Like, there's going to be these 10 things. And just see if you have more of these 
happening in your life than you, you'd like. Uh, number one is irritability. Easily annoyed, especially with those who you love the most. Let's go. Number two, sensitivity. You're easily upset or offended by the actions or comments of others. Number three, restlessness. Even when you're resting, you can't rest. You can't turn off your brain. Number four, workaholism. Your emotional well-being is tied to your work. If it's going well, you're doing great. If not, you're not. Number five, emotional numbness. You can't even feel the emotions that you know you're used to or that you see others experience. Number six, out-of-order priorities. Your life is reactive. You can't catch up. You can't make time for the things you know you should. Number seven, physically unhealthy. There isn't space for workouts or eating healthy, regularly binging on sugar, carbs, or alcohol, anything else. You fill it in right there. Number eight, escapism. When we're too tired to care for our souls, we often go to our addiction of choice. It could be eating, drinking, porn, entertainment, anything else. Again, fill it in with whatever you go to. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. Actually, the things that our souls need take a lot of energy and self-discipline. So if you're tired, you don't have room or space in your soul to actually do the things that can bring it health. Number 10, isolation. So stressed, distracted, it's hard to spend time with God and with people. Now, I don't know how many of these you feel like you have. I don't want to judge you on any of them. Uh, if you're wondering, maybe I have some, maybe I don't, here's maybe a, the, the greatest self-assessment. Do you feel anxious? Because anxiety is the canary in the coal mine when it comes to this pace, this worried, this hurried sickness that we, we have. Now, I, I have family that are on medication for anxiety. I just want to say, it doesn't necessarily, sometimes that's what you need. But could it be that if you had proper rest for your soul, you may not need it. Remember, the point is you can't do it all. Jesus made this statement early in his ministry out of Matthew chapter 5. He says this, let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Yeah, this, this passage does say we should keep our commitments, but another thing about this passage that I've loved is the fact that every yes is going to lead to thousands of no's, right? When my wife and I got married, I said no to every other woman on the face of the earth. That's a, that's a lot of no's, right, that I'm saying no to. If you go out and you buy a car, not only are you saying no to every other vehicle you could potentially purchase, you're also saying I'm willing to pay that payment. So that might be saying yes to more hours at work or no to a lot of time or money or anything like that, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of no's that come into factor when you say yes to anything. And when it comes to actually living a life of rest, if we're going to say yes to that, we're going to have to say no to a few things in our life. And even more and above that, if we're going to say yes to I want to follow Jesus, this leads to the second point of the message is that we have to adopt his lifestyle. Like I said, Jesus says, take my yoke 
upon me and, and learn from me. John 14, 6 says it this way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, we've, in the church, talked about the way being like the only way to heaven, right? That's making it the truth, the truth, and the life. When Jesus said the way, he actually talked about a pathway. He's, he's trying to say, I have a lifestyle for you. And here's, here's the thing. If you pair the way of Jesus, which is the lifestyle of Jesus, with the truth of Jesus, which is our mindset, it actually leads to the life of Jesus, this elevated life, this life that leads to eternal life. Jesus says, take my yoke upon me. A yoke in that day was the rabbi's teaching. Jesus is saying, my teaching, take these teachings and put them into practice in your life. But we all know, like if you, if you know anything about you know, farming, uh, a yoke in that time was, was a a piece of farm equipment. It was the way that they hooked up oxen to plow the fields. So if Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you rest, why is he giving us farm equipment? If Jesus is saying rest, why is he handing us a tractor instead of a vacation to Tahiti, right? What, what's going on right here? I think Jesus knows that a beach vacation is just that, a vacation. If you lived in Tahiti, you know that you'd still have to pay the bills. You'd still have to change the diapers. You'd still have to make the appointments Jesus knows there are life when we're actually living it. It takes a lot of work. So how do we work from a place of rest instead of having to escape to go find a place like a beach to go rest? Jesus says, learn from me. The only way that we can do this is if we completely restructure our life and take on the lifestyle of Jesus if we want the life of Jesus, but we're not willing to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, we should not expect the transformation of Jesus in our hearts. Jesus had a demanding life, right? But we never see him barking at Peter or nitpicking Mary, right? We don't see him doing those things. It's because Jesus had margin in his life. Jesus had margin in his life. Mark 1.35, it says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus had time in the presence of God. And I'd like to suggest to you that time in the presence of God is what rest actually is. We see Jesus doing this all throughout his ministry. He's sneaking off to connect with God and re-engage. Even, it's funny, Jesus starts his ministry, has one day on the job, and then he goes 40 days off into the wilderness. It's like, who, who starts their job, spends a day, and says, I'm gonna take the next 40 days off? Like, that's what Jesus did, okay? He, he made a lot of room to connect with God and find rest. Jesus' rhythms included regular time of solitude and silence and finding places to rest. Remember, the faith statement is this. If you make space for Jesus, he will fill it. So I put him to the test. This is where it started to change my own life. Now, when COVID first hit, one of my mentors that's been speaking into me since I was 14 years old, his name's Steve Edwards. Now, Steve, he started doing these prayer walks because he traveled. He, he's a... 
He's a church planning director. So he would, he'd travel a lot to all these church plants in the region. But when travel shut down, he, he thought, I'm going to start connecting with God at a whole deeper level. So he started doing these prayer walks throughout the day. He'd start with one, and he'd do a mile, and then he started with a second one during the day. And he's worked his way up to where he's doing eight prayer walks a day. He starts at seven in the morning, and his first one, and I think his last one's like at 11 o'clock at night. And he's walking and taking time, a mile or two miles, every time he does this loop through his neighborhood. And the crazy thing is Steve is 75 years old. And he talks about his relationship with Jesus like he's a teenager in love or something. It's just this crazy thing. He's been walking with Jesus his whole life, and I have never heard him talk like this. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to be preaching this sermon in a little, little bit of time. I'm, and, and Peter Cesaro, in his book, he recommends that we do this thing called the daily office. I don't know if you grabbed, uh, he actually has a book where you, you can do two a day. There's daily offices in your day where you can, it's not just your morning quiet time, but you can do one in the morning and then one in the afternoon. And I kind of already had a rhythm of my morning quiet time and I have a time of prayer in the evening, but I thought, I'm gonna go ahead and just, I'm not gonna take on eight prayer walks a day like my mentor Steve, I'm going to just take on one. So I decided somewhere, there's usually a spot in my day between two and four in the afternoon. I'm just going to, when, when there's an open space, I'm going to go on and do this. So I, I, whether, if I was here at the office at K2, there's a, a mile, one mile loop around this building. So about seven weeks ago, I started doing this. Where I'd do a mile loop, spend 15 minutes, and just pray. And I can't, we don't have the time to, for me to tell you all the things that have happened in those seven weeks. I, I go on date nights with my wife every week, and I haven't been able to even tell her all the things that have happened because it's so amazing how God is transforming my soul and reconnecting me to God. Uh, I'm amazed. But two things I want to share with you. Two things, because I don't have enough time, is this. I am not as emotionally stable as I thought I was. I, I was pretty sure I'm just like a solid rock all the time. At least that's how I portray myself to everybody else. And I've realized that I've actually not only, you know, got you guys in on it, but I've got myself in on it, but God's not fooled, right? So I, I show up to God and I, I start telling God what's on my mind. And I show up at the same time every day. And it's funny how some days I'm like way up here, I'm coming to God, I'm like, man, it's a great day. Thank you, God. And then some days I'm like, oh, God, I, I can't make it today. And I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, why am I so bipolar all the time? And I realized, like, my emotional state can be set off by just having a good meeting or good news or bad news or all these things where I'm coming to God at, at different states in my emotional well-being, and I'm walking into meetings with this and not even realizing what's going on inside my own soul. But when I show up and talk to God, I'm willing to be honest with him. Number two, the, the, the second thing that's come is that by the end of that walk, every time, without fail, for seven weeks, I find that I'm at perfect peace. It's the truth. Like, I have no idea how or why. Like, some days I come in just completely tired, ready to throw in the towel, and I come at the end of it, and I'm like, wow, I'm feeling great. Like, God, you are faithful. If you make space for Jesus, I promise you, 
he will fill it. Now, like I said, I don't have time to tell you, like, seriously, it's, it's the best thing of my last seven weeks. Here's the offer. Like, I'll be here Wednesday morning. There's an entrance, Murray Boulevard, into our offices right over here. I'll be standing right over there, 745. If you want to learn how to do that, I'll just teach you what I've been doing the last seven weeks, and then we'll do a mile. So if you want to come and join me, I just want to say, come and join me. For 15 minutes, I'll teach you on what, what I do, and then another 15 minutes to walk around the building, and in 30 minutes, you can experience something that I think is life transformational. Okay? A few of you might show up, 745. There's no thing on our website about this. If you're here online right now or you're in the building, everybody else, if you're not here, you're missing out, okay? You guys are part of the club, so. We know this, right? If we don't take on the lifestyle of Jesus, we can't expect the life of Jesus. Now, I was gonna talk to you about this guy named Daniel. Now, I don't have time to talk about Daniel, so maybe I'll talk about Daniel uh, on a Facebook Live like Dave's been doing. Now, I wanted to talk to you about this this object lesson that God has put together of the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is this, this place. Uh, when, when God brought his people out of Egypt, he was like recreating. He, w- he was doing a second round of creation. Right? And, and in Genesis chapter 1, God made the space, right? And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. He told us to fill the space. But when God is creating a whole new people group out of this nation of Israel, he goes the opposite way. Instead of saying, I'm going to make the space, you fill it, he said, you make the space. He told them to build a tabernacle, and then he says, I'll fill it. It went wrong the other way, right? If, if I make the space and you fill it, you fill it with all sorts of destruction and, and evil things. But if, if you make the space and I fill it, I'll fill it up exactly how it should be. So he tells them to put this tabernacle at the center of their camp. This is what it would have looked like. So all the tribes are all around, and at the center of the camp is this tabernacle. And it says that it was, there was a, a pillar of smoke and fire that resembled the presence of God in the, ten, in the, in the tabernacle by day and by night. This It's just an image of what I'm trying to say is that if you create a space in your life, if you create a place where you can meet God, if you come to Jesus like he asks in Matthew chapter 11, I promise you, he will fill it. He's been doing it for his people for thousands of years. Because God's presence, God's presence is the only thing that can actually fill us with life. There's nothing else. Like, I had the quarter-life crisis where I had done everything that the world tells you you should do. I had finished school and gone to college and gotten a graduate degree and gotten married and had a family and bought a house and all these things. And you go, what? That doesn't fill me up at all. I mean, I love my family, but it doesn't give you life. What gives you life is if you make a space Because God will not only fill that space, he will give life to everything that you touch. 
one key way to be motivated to take on the lifestyle of Jesus is really to understand that God is the one that determines your value. That's the last point, is that we have to acknowledge the, our worth isn't dependent upon success, right? His burden is light. Here's, here's something that uh, a guy named Craig Groeschel, another pastor in Oklahoma, he brought to mind, I was reading his book, uh, Winning the War Your Mind, and he's like, value isn't actually based on what I think something's worth. It's based on what somebody's willing to pay for it. Like, there's, there's crazy paintings that I think may not look nice at all, but people are willing to pay millions of dollars for, right? Because it's got the name Picasso stapled to it. Or there's, there's cars like Ferraris and Lamborghinis that people are willing to pay $300,000 for. I would rather drive my 2007 pickup truck that's paid off. I'll be honest, like seriously, I love having a truck. <laughs> so, but somebody's willing to pay $300,000, and here's the deal. When it comes to our worth, your value comes because Jesus was willing to pay his life for you. So your value is beyond measure. That's the good news, right? That is the, the good news of the gospel. But God actually has given us an object lesson again through the Sabbath. We, we've talked about taking time during our day, but actually taking time during our week to let God fill us up, making time and space for his presence, making a hard stop. That is actually spoken into God's people in Exodus. Now, I don't have time to read to you the passage. It's in your notes. Uh, it could be flashed on the screen if you'd like. But that passage is in, in the Ten Commandments. If you were to put all the commandments on a pie chart, the passage that talks about Sabbath would actually take one-third of the pie. It's crazy how much time God takes to emphasize the Sabbath rest. You know why? He's writing to a group of slaves that are coming out of Egypt, and for 400 years, their only worth had been in how many bricks they could make. There were, there were widgets on the scale of the taskmasters, right? How much can you produce? What God is trying to tell his people that he loves is that you don't have to produce anything. In fact, you can take a whole day off and I still love you. That's the good news. If, if we actually take time just to rest in God, like the message that he speaks when he speaks into our soul is that I love you. Like you don't have to produce anything. There's nothing that you can do that would actually make me love you more than I love you right now. That's the good news of our Father. Like Jesus wants to fill us with that sort of love when he speaks into our life. And that's what a Sabbath can do. Jesus says in Mark that it wasn't that the Sabbath was made, or it wasn't that the man was made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Like, we need to actually hear that first part, that Sabbath was made for us. It isn't this rule or this law. It's this fact that if we actually live in that sort of rhythm, we can live a life of rest, deep abiding in Christ, knowing that he loves us, knowing that we have perfect peace. And, and here's the deal. I'm going to invite the band up. 
I can't do this for you. I can tell you about Jesus, but what I would rather do is I would actually like to just challenge you to do it. Like, I can't, I would rather, instead of just telling you more about how much Jesus loves you, I'd actually rather just introduce you to Jesus. (laughs) Because if you make space for Jesus, he will not only show up, he will fill you up. That's the truth of the gospel. So I, I challenge you to like find a way to make space in your schedule, restructure your lifestyle, because if you don't, like we will never live the transformed lives that Jesus wants to, us to live. Like he, he doesn't want us to try to earn his love. He says, hey, I love you already. Just come and meet with me, and I will, I will actually speak into your heart in such a way that you'll be at perfect peace. So, find a time, find a date. Come here on Wednesday morning, 7.45. Write it down, because there's not going to be another announcement. The corner of Murray Boulevard, on the entrance right here, on the back side of the building, I'll be there. Or, maybe this weekend, next weekend, take a day. 24 hours straight, put away your phones, just spend time with God. Spend time with the people you love. And don't have any tasks on your agenda and see what it feels like. You guys, we're coming to a song. It's called, Lord, I Need You. <laughs> and that's really the, the point of this message is that if we're going to find any significance in our hearts, and our souls, in our life, we need God to fill us up. So go ahead and stand. Let's worship together today.